Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 82, 5000 BC. Hello there, I am Dan and I'm the fan of history. This is the second to last scripts that Shane Soresby wrote about prehistory. Uh, we will finish with the next uh, episode, then I will start searching again on Patreon for any further episodes. So please, please support this podcast on patreon.com slash fanofhistory or search for Fan of History on Patreon. If you can find it in your heart to give me a dollar an episode, I will be most happy because I love this podcast and doing nine podcasts. I'm making a living podcasting. It's not from this podcast. And I want it to be from this podcast. Uh, what will happen later, uh, if there is no improvement, I will publish the 690 script. I have a, a script for the 690s as well. And then I will probably just co-publish episodes with my Mass Murder podcast. That podcast is in Swedish, so I will have to do some translation which I will probably do on the fly, so the level of English will deteriorate horribly starting then in episode 85. But I'm also looking for scripts. So scripts and patrons on Patreon, that's what I want. I also want to begin this episode with a special shout-out to Mac McGovern, who has, I said Matt there, Matt McGovern, who has motivated me to create this episode today when I should really be recording murder podcasts. But I do love this podcast. I want it to continue. I am also looking for a co-host. So if you feel inclined to do that, let's talk about it. Okay, 
over to Shane Sowerby's excellent script and the world in 5000 BC. We have now reached the year 5000 BC and the start of the 5th millennium. Although nothing much changes as opposed to the previous millennium, the next 1000 years would see agriculture reaching the Atlantic coast of continental Europe and the first appearance of Egypt into our story. Today we concentrate on events in the year 5000 BC itself. First up, China and Daxi culture. The Daxi culture 5000 to 3300 BC uh, was located in the Three Gorges region of the middle Jiangxi River in China. It ranged from western Yubei to eastern Sichuan and the Pearl River Delta. The type site of Daxi was discovered in Kutang Gorge around Wushan, Chongqing by Nels C. Nelson in the 1920s. Daxi sites were the earliest in China to show evidence of moats and walled settlements. Despite this, people interacted and traded with those found near the Delta region, exchanging their cylindrical bottles, white plates and red pottery for jade artifacts. As was the norm for the Yangtze River area, people cultivated rice extensively. Little is known about the Daxi culture and they would be followed in 3300 BC by the Koyaling culture. One thing for certain is that following the construction of the Three Gorges Dam in 2003, the site of Daxi is no longer accessible unless you plan to have a trip underwater. And that moves our focus to the Maya Bang culture, 5000 to 3300 BC as well, the same period as the Daxi culture. The people that the Daxi traded with at the Jiangxi River Delta was known as the Maya Bang. The type site of Maya Bang was discovered in 1959 around the Taihu Lake in Yexing in Shijiang province. Other sites included Songtse and Fuquanshan in the Qingpu district of modern day Shanghai. Archaeologists considered that the Maya Bang and sites in northern Jiangsu were part of the same culture, known as the Qingliangang culture. They realized that northern Jiangsu was the homeland of the Davenku culture. Some scholars stated that the Himudu culture, who we touched upon previously, coexisted with the Mayabang as two separate and distinct cultures, with cultural transmission between both of them. Other scholars group Hemudu with Mayabang sub-traditions. The Mayabang people cultivated rice and domesticated pigs. This did not mean that they abandoned hunting and gathering though. Remains of Sika and roe deer, as well as tools made from various animal bones found at Songtse, show the importance of fishing and hunting at that time. The environment during the 5th millennium BC was warm and humid with temperatures 2 to degrees Celsius higher than today. A lush forest containing evergreen and big leaved trees were an obvious barrier to rice cultivation. To get around this, people produced polished stone axes and adzes that were perforated using pointed awls to carry out slash and burn agriculture. 
No evidence has been found for using advanced tube drilling perforation. Cultivated paddy fields of both short and long-grained rice were excavated from ash pits at Songtse that look exactly like those found across East Asia today. This was highly developed during the Mayabang period and would continue to do so in the Shanghai area up to present day. Various pottery vessels were found at Songtse. Most of these were simple, handmade, using a coil technique from local clay strips and had a brownish-red color with no decoration. Various types of pottery included a fu, which is a cauldron with a raised waist, a du, which is a stem bowl, a pottery grate, and an ox nose-shaped vessel's ear for stringing. The earliest example of a pottery grate in China enabled fire pots to have sufficient oxygen to burn the firewood, saving fuel and speeding up the cooking process. We have already mentioned that jade artifacts were sent to the Daxi culture in exchange for bottles, plates and red pottery that have been found at Mayabang sites. Two wells made of clay in tube shape with a smooth wall and rounded bottom provided the earliest evidence of a well in China at Songse. One well was two meters deep that contained pottery shards, net weights and animal bones. Digging and usage of both wells showed advancement of human civilization and provided better conditions for settled life for these people. A skeleton of a 25 to 30 year old male with a complete skull was found dated to the Mayabang period. The discovery was of great importance for the study of the ecological environment for people living at the mouth of the Jiangxi River. With the expansion of Jiangxi River Delta, the Songxi area was pushed farther away from the shoreline. Its land was less salty and many lakes and ponds were distributed. Water plants and fruits were available all year round. Medium and large sized animals lived in forests. Small animals, birds and fish lived on or beside rivers and people began to settle on the hills. At Kaokxiexian site, Wuxian, Jiangsu province, the earliest textile ever found in China was discovered from three pieces of cloth remnants dated to approximately 4000 BC. They were made by using a type of rib stitch rather than plain weaving that showed the Maya Bang were quite advanced in this type of field. In 3300 BC, the Maya Bang was followed by the Liangshu culture, which we then will sadly not be able to cover in this podcast as of now. Next, we will speak about the Yangshao culture, also 5000 to 3000 BC. That is 300 years longer than the other two. The Yangshao culture was a Neolithic culture that was located along the Yellow River in China between 5000 and 3000 BC. It was named after Yangshao, the first excavated village of this culture that was discovered in 1921 in Henan province by Swedish archaeologist Johan Gunnar Andersson. Finally, a name I could pronounce as I am Swedish. That is why I sound like a drunk Viking. Anyway, it flourished in the provinces of Henan, Shangxi and Shanxi. 
It consisted of hundreds of settlements along the Yellow and Wei River regions, stretching across the northwestern plains from Changxi province in central China to Gansu province in the west. Yangshao village was located near the confluence of the Yellow River, the Fan River and the Wei River. In approximately 4000 BC, carefully laid out villages were founded by hunter-farmers on the Yellow River and the Wei River. The Yangshao culture itself is divided into three periods. The early period, the Ban Pu phase, is between 5000 and 4000 BC, and it was represented by the Bampu, Yangshai, Beishuling and Dadivan sites in the Wei River Valley in Changchi. The middle period is called the Miaodigu phase, 4000-3500 BC, and it saw an expansion in all directions with the development of hierarchies of settlements in some areas, such as western Henan. The late period, 3500-3000 BC, saw a greater spread of settlement hierarchies. This saw the first wall of rammed earth in China, built around the settlement of Chichan in central Henan. The Yangshao people hunted, fished, gathered and practiced primitive agriculture. Stone tools unearthed by archaeologists consisted of fishing net sinkers, knives, shovels, millstones and arrowheads. Fishermen used nets and needles, harpoons and hooks made from bone. Craftsmen made tools from stone and jewelry, from shells and animal teeth. Based on studies of the amounts of carbon and nitrogen detected in bones found in graves, archaeologists determined that farmers, pigs and dogs ate lots of millet, because it was the region's only carbon type of food. In fact, millet made up 90% of the diet of some animals. Some sites used foxtail millet as their main crop, Others used broom corn millet, and one or two may have cultivated rice. Whether they used slash and burn techniques or intensive agriculture is still a matter of debate. Once the soil was exhausted, residents packed up their belongings and moved to new lands, constructing new villages in the process. By the middle Yangshao period, permanent settlements such as Yangshi contained grinding stones for making flour and raised floor buildings used for storage of surplus grain. Some of the earliest examples of clay pottery found in China were created as far back as 6000 BC in the Yangshao area. Pottery consisted of fine white, red and black painted pottery with human, animal and geometric designs. However, unlike the later Longshan culture, the Yangsha did not use the potter's wheel to produce their pottery. Excavations found that children were buried inside painted pottery jars. Those jars must have been quite large. Between 4000-3500 BC, a bright red mineral known as cinnabar was used for a variety of uses, from ceramics to walls and floors of buildings for ritual ceremonies. As late as May 2016, archaeologists discovered evidence of a 5,000-year-old beer concoction and the earliest known occurrence of barley at Miyaya in Changxi province. Researchers found yellowish remnants. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In wide-mouthed pots, funnels, and amphorae excavated from the site which suggested that these vessels were used for beer brewing, filtration and storage. According to live science, stoves were probably used to provide heat for mashing grains. Beer recipe used a variety of starchy grains, including barley, as well as tubers that would have added starch to fermentation and sweetness to flavor of the beer. The Miaya site consisted of ceramic pots, funnels and stoves in pits that date to between 3400 and 2900 BC. Yangshao villages covered an area of 10 to 14 acres that composed of groups of square, oblong and round houses around a central square. At the center of the village there was a lodge-like dwelling or ceremonial center 60 foot long with rooms and multiple hearths. The largest example was found in Shangchi, 20.1 meters from east to west and 12.2 meters north to south uh, and 190 square meters in size. So where did the extra cost 20 times 12 is 240, there's 50 square meters missing. Maybe it wasn't a, a rectangle. The floor consisted of several layers with a burnt hard black layer below and a cement-like surface made from lime and sand. A kiln was found with a round fire pit and pottery chamber alongside two surrounding fire channels. Houses were built by digging a round rectangular pit a few feet deep, rammed and a lattice of vattle woven over it. The lattice was plastered with mud and rammed again. A few short wattle pools were placed around the top with more wattle woven to it. After being plastered with mud, a framework of poles was placed to make a cone shape for the roof. Poles were added to support the roof and then thatched using millet stalks. Inside, a shallow fireplace was located in the middle of the house, a bench alongside the wall and a bed of cloth. Food and various items were placed or hung against the walls. Outside the house, a pen was built to keep animals. Burials were complex, like the segmented village structures. Graves were arranged in groupings with spaces between groups. And a lot of attention was paid to burials. Many graves did not reveal skeletal remains 
at all. But an arrangement of bones clearly indicated the bodies of the deceased were dug up and ceremonially reburied, known as secondary burial. This practice endures in Chinese cultured areas today. The deceased were buried in temporary graves until they decomposed. After this, graves were reopened, bones were cleaned, and then they were buried again in the final resting place. The Yangshao devoted the deceased by investment of considerable amounts of resources in graves. Graves were dug as deep chambers with ledges along the walls that contained pottery and other valuable objects. Floors inside graves were paved with wooden planking and mats. Many grave goods indicated distinctions in wealth and status of the occupants. Poorer burials included one or two pots, while some of the larger graves surrounding the deceased contained beautifully decorated pots, fine tools and ornaments that indicated the role that the deceased had played amongst the living. In one large grave, nearly 100 pots, along with other objects, celebrated the grandeur of the occupant, whose skeleton was buried under opulent grave goods that had moved on top of him over thousands of years. The oldest Yangshao site was Ban Pu, an excavated village along the Wei River east of Qian in Changchi province. Discovered in 1953, the village contained kilns for making pottery, 250 graves that included 73 children buried inside earthen pots, a 300 meter long moat to keep out wild animals, 200 storage cellars and 46 semi-subterranean round or square houses. All doors faced toward a large 160 square meter one room dwelling that reflected the clan organization of the group. Pottery activity was carried out at six kilns in the east of the village using fine-grained and sandy coarse clay. On pottery fragments, 12 different kinds of markings or symbols included some of the main strokes used in Chinese characters. Is this another candidate for earliest Chinese writing? Whether these were writing or not, these symbols did have some meaning in the village of Banpu and for the Yangshou culture in general. Other artifacts found at Banpu included stone axes, fish hooks, fishbone forks, bone needles and stone, bone and ivory ornamentation. The Yangshou culture was followed by the Longshan culture in 3000 BC and I wish I could talk to you about the Longshan culture because I really like that. But there's only one script left. We will only get to 4900 BC in this series. But now let's forget about that and talk about the Naper Donuts culture, which existed 5000 to 4200 BC. Let's head now to the fringes of Europe. In the last episode, we looked at the Samara culture on the lower Volga River. Emerging to the west of the Samara, in approximately 5000 BC was the Dnieper Donets culture, a hunter-gatherer Mesolithic culture located to the north of the Black Sea, between the Dnieper and the Donets River. It lasted until 4200 BC when it was replaced by the Yamina culture. As stated, there are parallels between the Dnieper Donets and Samara. 
According to the Kurgan hypothesis, as proposed by Maria Gimbutas, a larger horizon was drawn from the lower half of the Dnieper to the mid to lower Volga. Dimitri Teleginru assigned the Dnieper donuts to a broad cultural region that spanned the Vistula River in Poland, southeast to the Dnieper. J.P. Mallory, who wrote In Search of the Indo-Europeans in 1989, included this area within the limits of the Proto-Indo-European people, those warlike cultures that Maria Gimbutas advocated with first the Samara culture. The role of the Dnieper donuts and its language in comparison to the Pontic Caspian cultures, like the succeeding Shredni Stog and Jamna cultures, is open to debate. The display of cultural traits does point to long-standing mutual contact or genetic relations between these cultures. Physical remains found in graves have been characterized by the advocates of the Kurgan hypothesis as late Cro-Magnon, you know, those first human ancestors that arrived from Africa 45,000 years ago. This is opposed to those Neolithic cultures found in the Balkans, who have been described as old European and meek. This is a theory that doesn't find much favor with many scholars. The pottery of this culture is similar to those found in other Mesolithic cultures that lived on the edge of the expanding Neolithic cultures further to the south and to the east. In particular, its pointed base was just like those found with the Erteberle of northern Germany and Denmark, which we discussed in the previous episode, remember? As a reminder, the theory goes that the pottery started with the Samara, made its way up the Volga River, and then proceeded across the Baltic shoreline, influencing other Mesolithic cultures. It looks like this type of pottery made its way westwards into the Ukraine as well. You did not need agriculture to have pottery, Likewise, when agriculture started in the Near East, pottery was not invented and wouldn't be for about 4,000 years. So you could easily have agriculture without pottery and pottery without agriculture. Bordering the Dnieper Donetsk culture in the West was the linear pottery culture that had been active for approximately 500 years. By 5000 BC, a subgroup of the linear pottery emerged in Hungary spreading its influence over Central Europe for the next 1,600 years. And this is the Lengyel culture, so 5,000 to 3,400 BC. The Lengyel culture was a European Neolithic culture situated on the middle Danube, named after the type site located in the town of Lengyel in Tolna County in Hungary. It was closely related to the stroke-ornamented Rössen and Funnelbeekel cultures to the north and west, and would be succeeded by the Corded Ware culture in 3400 BC. Rather than being a narrow, unified agricultural culture, archaeological culture, sorry, the Lengyel was a widespread interaction sphere, or cultural horizon, that was centered in the western central European part of the Danube and its tributaries. We know this as Lengyel pottery could be found in Western Hungary, in the Czech Republic, in Slovakia, in Austria, in Poland and in parts of former Yugoslavia. 
similar pottery styles appeared in parts of Germany and Switzerland. The pottery itself tended to be utilitarian and unpainted. Between 1982 and 1988, the cleric Mor Wosinski excavated a large number of artifacts from 90 graves found in the vicinity of the Lengyel enclosure. Based on the recovered pottery, Oswald Mengin of the University of Vienna introduced the term Lengyel culture in the 1920s. Some of the artifacts found included copper in the form of cylindrical beads, cold hammered copper ribbons and copper ribbon with ends curled into spirals. We have not got to the stage of smelting copper though, so we cannot call this the copper age yet. As for the enclosure, well these were surrounded by one or more circular ditches with causeways. This would be similar to those found in southern England in the early 4th millennium BC. Most circular oval ditch enclosures can be found in Austria, in the Czech Republic, in Slovakia and in Hungary. It is likely that these were used for celestial observation, a forerunner to the standing stones of the late 4th millennium and the early 3rd millennium BC. Settlements consisted of small houses and the similar longhouse that was found with the linear pottery culture. The only difference is that the Lengyel longhouse was trapezoidal in style, abandoning the triple segmentation and rectangular plan of the linear pottery. This change of architecture could be a result of a change in climate following the end of the warm period in approximately 4700 BC. Houses needed to be sturdier, so deep bedding trenches were dug to maintain the posts. The longhouse itself was abandoned by small rectangular houses in approximately 4300 or 4200 BC. Another effect of the change in climate was that some lingual sites started to have greater reliance on hunting. Does this mean that agriculture was starting to be abandoned? Well, no. Agriculture and stock raising, mainly cattle and pigs, continue to be practiced, but a large number of wild faunal remains suggested that crops were not doing so well in the poorer climate conditions. This did not prevent agriculture from spreading further north and west though, and we will look at further Neolithic cultures in the next episode. Next time, we head to Saxony in Germany to look at our first Neolithic enclosure known as the Gossek Circle. We will head to Romania, to Moldova, and to Western Ukraine to discuss a Neolithic and possibly first Copper Age culture to emerge in Europe, known as the Cucuteni Trupilian culture and return to southern Mesopotamia to catch up with the Ubaid period, where both maritime activities and influence to the north occurred. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye from me, and goodbye from Shane Soresby, who wrote this. So, uh, let's speak to you again next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.